Welcome to the Body Positivity Podcast with Diana and Arliss. We have an amazing guest here with us today. Heather went to law school to make a difference in the lives of women and girls internationally, focusing on human rights. After a little over a year of civil rights work in Oakland, California, she founded her own law firm for almost 20 years. After selling her practice in 2016, she moved to Kealakekua, Hawaii, to open Mermaid Dreams Bed and Breakfast. Her mermaid sanctuary provided the perfect healing space where Heather, AKA Viana, overcame her lifelong struggle with food addiction. She created a 13-step program, which provides daily spiritual affirmations, nourishing wisdom, and inspirational stories. The program is not based on any religion, and Viana considers herself a mystical, free spirit. She has over a decade of training in the 13 Moon Ministry School, a spiritual tradition that embodies the fem divine feminine. Viana's exploration of her own divine feminine has led her to explore the mermaid archetype for over 10 years. She created her first international mermaid retreat in, in Northern California in 2011. She continues to offer transformational experiences for women here in Kona. I welcome Heather, AKA Viana. Thank you, Arliss. It's fun to be here. Welcome, Viana. Welcome, Heather. It's great to have you here. And I'm really looking forward to today's discussion. I think we have some very powerful topics to share with everybody. Me too. <laughs> so I'll go ahead and start with a, one of our easier questions, I think. Um, what part of your body has been the easiest for you to love? I would say my eyes. My eyes change colors and I love colors. And my eyes have a tendency to kind of sparkle when I'm excited. And then other people make comments about my eyes being sparkly. And so I, I really love magic and sparkly things. And so I would say the eyes are the easiest for me. And they intrigue me because they change colors. Like I love shape shifting and things that change. I love how octopus change colors and, and they can change their pupils into three different ways, like stars and bars and all sorts of weird things. I just think that's the coolest thing. So I'm aspiring to be more like an octopus. I that's awesome. I love that answer. And your eyes are gorgeous. I have had the privilege of seeing them in person and they're absolutely beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. If I cry, they turn bright green. Hopefully don't make me cry. <laughs> That's so fascinating. Um, and I could see how, how yeah, you, you have a natural sparkle in them that, that can really um, enlighten and empower others. Thank you, Diana. So moving on to one of our more challenging questions, which part of your body has been the hardest for you to love? Aha. Uh -huh. Well, as a child, it would be my teeth were knocked out in a motorcycle accident when I was three years old. So I never had front teeth growing up until I was about eight and they didn't come in right. And we didn't have any money to fix them. So I've always just had the teeth I have and I've come to love them and they, they seem to pull it off now. But there were many, many, many years in my childhood where I was embarrassed to smile. Then, yes, so growing up, my family is the body type that they carry is a mesomorph, really strong and sturdy athletic types. And so I had really muscular calves and thighs, which served me very well playing volleyball, 
which just made them even more muscular. And in the culture that I grew up in, it was seen as kind of big. So having big thighs was considered something unattractive at the time. And um, that was probably what I would consider the most, the, the biggest challenge for me you know, It made me feel like I couldn't do certain things like be a cheerleader or if, if I had wanted to be, you know, <laughs> there were certain things that were limiting to me in, in having large thighs, I suppose. I'm curious because um, I'm also somebody who identified as someone who didn't necessarily love her thighs growing up. For you, did it come, was it one of those things where you like, because I'm hearing you say like with the volleyball, like you recognize that you, you especially like built up power in yeah. these areas of your body. Was there, can you talk a little bit about the, um, maybe like the dichotomy of both like finding power in it and then also feeling kind of limited by that? So the power of it, of course, and I, having taken self-defense classes in my twenties, I discovered that it's my legs that are my strongest mus muscles in my body, you know, and they rock and I love them and they support me and they're powerful. And uh, I feel really solid that way. I feel like I have a solid foundation under me and that allows me to do the things I want to do in life. And, and as a mermaid now putting a tail on, that's like a really fabulous way to float in the water is to have larger body pieces. So we bring our own buoyancy compensator and can float more easily. And a lot of muscle helps a lot too. So just like dolphins and whales have a huge amount of muscle, they also have a lot of insulation for the water. And now as someone who identifies as a mermaid more than a human and loves to play in the ocean more than on land, I would say it is a huge benefit to me to have the legs that I was given. Even if as a mermaid, they seem like a disability because it's not a tail. I have this prosthetic tail that makes it possible for me to be more authentically me. And I enjoy that as much as possible. But these really strong, wonderful legs have become my ally in feeling as a strong foundation under me when I am on land. I love that. And one of the things that you mentioned uh, when you were talking about your teeth when you were younger was hard to smile or scary to smile. And I've known at the time I've known you, you are such a joyous person. Mm -hmm. You're rarely not smiling. And so how did you learn how to smile again and feel free in that? There came a point where my teeth came back in, you know, they grew in at eight, at age eight years old. And then one of them was dead and we had to cap it. And then a couple of years later, it wasn't, it was too, my mouth was too full. So they just said, well, let's just pull it. And so they just pulled the dead tooth out and it, it allowed the other teeth to come in together in a way that wasn't all crooked for the first time in my life. It was probably about age 11 or 12. And everybody thought I was a little boy that whole time anyway, because I had really short hair and I was a tomboy. So I was never, I struggled with femininity most of my life and honoring my femininity. I never wanted to be a girl. I, I, I just kind of avoided everything feminine. And I think about 11 or 12, I started smiling. I think that's the answer to your question, but it, it's kind of complicated in the sense that being a female, there tends to be more smiling. And as a tomboy, there's seems to be less smiling. For some reason, there's a difference there that I've never noticed before. Yeah, as female, I just remember also in high school and, you know, when I got older, it seemed like men were starting to say, hey, smile for me, baby. And then all of a sudden, my smile became something else. And that was some way to please men or perform for them or placate them or 
something. I don't know what that was, but I did begin to notice that men were asking me, no, not asking. They were strongly suggesting that I should smile like all the time. <laughs> it's, it's just really interesting how the smile uh, became this thing that I didn't like to hear about in the end, at the end of my teens, when I was being asked to smile all the time. Yeah, well, it's different when the smile is uh, natural versus when someone is commanding you or encouraging you to smile for their for their pleasure or for what they want to see out of you. Mm-hmm. So I really love that you brought that up because you know, similar, I can definitely relate to being told to smile more when I was younger. And, you know, like, oh, you're, you're so much prettier when you smile or like, like these sort of like backhanded comments, like, I don't even know. And at the same time, realizing for myself, like, you know, I wait, like, now I'm a person who naturally smiles who where it comes from a place of joy, but it is very different, you know, like, even in the same action, whether it's coming from this place of, I should for someone else versus I am because I am embodying this and feeling it fully. I I hear you. And smiling is something that I do naturally myself as well. But I've also had the societal training, just like probably every woman in the United States and beyond. And now when I'm giving speeches on serious topics, I have to really focus on not smiling and being able to emote the emotion of the speech that I'm feeling. I am feeling it inside of sadness or loss or some form of grief or anger, something like that. And I have to, I have to like physically make my face relax enough to show that emotion. And it reminds me every time that I have to practice that, that, wow, I've really been trained to smile. And I do love smiling and I I love it now, but, but I have been, I've been trained to smile no matter what is going on inside of me. Well, I love that you say that, Arliss, but for me, the other part of that, and I think, I think, Heather, maybe you can relate to this too, is that, like, for me, those painful moments or those difficult things, I really now do see them as a blessing. So sometimes when I talk about the difficult things, I have a tendency to smile or I have a tendency to really see where it led me, but I also have to understand, which is what I'm hearing you say, Arliss, right? Like, that I need to be aware of where my audience is and how they're feeling about what I'm sharing, and they're not yet in the place where they can smile about that. So, Viana, I wonder if you would share with us some of your amazing mermaid self-love and self-care practices, because you have some amazing things that you do. The answer is always go to the ocean, go to the ocean, you know, you see all those funny signs, the sea will set you free, or whatever, the salt water, Pesolotherapy, if you've never heard that word, is uh, another word for get in the ocean. It's therapeutic. Self-care in the ocean. It's exfoliating. It's delicious. We float. We feel weightless. It's a holding for me. Me being in the water is more comfortable than me being on land. There's no gravity. You don't have to wear a bra. It's awesome. There's a reason mermaids don't wear bras. (laughs) Anyway, you know, not everybody has access to the ocean. So I say take a bath and don't make it just a boring bath make it a sensorium. You have so many senses. So bring something to eat to nibble on, bring something cool to drink, bring a candle, bring something yummy that smells good, essential oils. Have that experience of the oils and the smell of the oils and flower petals, whatever senses you can relate to while taking a bath. That's my probably my favorite self-care method. And you don't have to do it all yourself. 
there are wonderful people that may love you that want to prepare that for you and have it be a special thing that someone can do for you. A lot of people want to know how they can love us better and we don't always tell them, make me a really special bath. I know you're good at that, Arliss. So anyway, I just want to say that's probably my, the ocean's number one and the bathtub's number two. Get me in the water. If you've never had aquatic body work, get in a warm pool of water with someone who's trained in aquatic body work. If you like massage, you like touch, take it to the water. And that is called aquatic body work. And there are people who do this all over the world and I'm one of them and I highly recommend it. It's like nothing else. Exquisite. I have to agree. Aquatic body work is my absolutely favorite form of massage therapy. It's incredible. And I have an, a follow-up question for you, Viana. You once told me a mermaid spa day that you uh-huh. did for yourself sometimes. Yes. Good point. Oh yeah. So, <laughs> so one of the things that's fun about playing in the mermaid realms is uh, trying on, well, what would the mermaids do? So you get to the beach and you say, well, what would the mermaids do to have a spa day? Well, they would go get some really delicious avocados and just fallen off the tree and then They'd add some honey to it and they'd stick it all in their hair and make a mask. And then they'd take some papaya left over from breakfast and swish it all over their face for a papaya mask. And then they'd take the coffee grounds from the Kona coffee that we have every morning here. We'd rub it all over our skin to exfoliate our skin. And we'd get all kind of gussied up with all this crazy fruit all over us. And then we'd wait like 10 minutes so it actually does its little thing. And maybe eat some pineapple, fresh pineapple. You gotta have something really delicious to eat while you're doing this. Great vitamin C. And then the fun is you get to go jump in the ocean and wash it off and the fish love it. The fish are so excited to come and eat all the avocado and honey and all this nummy, nummy stuff. So obviously you can only do this, you know, one or two people at a time because otherwise it would overwhelm the beach with avocado mousse or whatever. But in certain areas with a small amount of people, uh, the fish really enjoy the feast. And that's one of my favorite things to do. That's fantastic. One of these days when Diana comes back to the Big Island for a visit, we'll have to all three go and have a mermaid spa day. Yeah. I'm excited. I cannot wait. That sounds like so much fun. Uh, and I love the the use of like natural ingredients like avocado, coffee, and papaya to nourish ourselves and our skin and recognizing that it doesn't just nourish the inside of us, but also the, the outside of us. And relationship-wise, mermaids were often seen together in groups brushing each other's hair. And that wasn't a mistake. That was a really beautiful way to bond with women and sisterhood and support each other and have a culture where women supported women. And that spa day, women used to bathe together. They used to brush each other's hair. They used to use those, you know, sponges out of the ocean on each other, really wonderful ways. And so that part of it is probably the thing that I enjoy the most. I don't go there and do it myself. I could sit all day and play with somebody's hair. That's just fun for me. So that connection is really important to me too. That's really beautiful. I wonder if you could tell us more about the values behind being a mermaid or, or mermaid values. Yeah. What, how does that speak to you? And what? how would you describe that culture and how do you embody it in your life? So this is a culture that I'm still remembering on a daily basis, just allowing myself to naturally, well, Sometimes it's a little unnatural to try and realize the, all the belief systems that I've been enculturated into and then say, oh, thank you for sharing. Yes, I know I thought that that was normal my whole life, but now 
if I step into this magical being of the mermaid culture, what would be real in that culture? And so I'm, I'm exploring it. I don't know all the answers to that question, but every day I try on something new and I ask myself, does this feel good for me? Does this, is this real? Is this authentic? Is this, does the results that this particular belief produces honor me and honor you and honor life? Will it be sustainable in this planet if we want to all stay here and live here together? Will it create more unity and peace and harmony or will it create more conflict and divisiveness? Like partisan politics. I try to stay away from anything partisan that divides people. And I'm not here to be divided. I'm here to get together with you. So if we can find a way to talk about issues that matter to us that don't have to bring in the politics, the partisanness of it, then I'm interested in having that conversation because I feel it will bring us closer together. It uh, doesn't mean we can't have clear boundaries and that sort of thing. That's also very important. I feel that the mermaid culture would be 99% exactly the same as the dolphin culture. And I had never experienced wild dolphin culture before I came to the big island. And here the dolphins have been my teachers and just observing them just floating on the surface of the water, watching how they interact with each other and with me and with the planet is epic. Like we have so much to learn from dolphins about how to be sovereign, to not have to have a house and a whole bunch of stuff, but to be fluid, to not have to be weighed down by clothes, to not have to worry about going to work every day from nine to five or paying rent. Like they don't do any of that. They just play, eat, sleep, make love, play, eat, sleep, make love. And at night they go hunting for food together and they work together to catch small fish. So they don't even fish out the big fish of the ocean like we've done. They haven't harmed their own food chain. They have created an environment that's perfect for them, except for fishermen. Fishermen are their big, you know, problem. But aside from fishermen, I think the dolphins have really, for what is it, like 25 million years, they have created a culture that is unbelievably respectful, nonviolent, and very um, encouraging for their own singing and talking and playing. Like it's epic. We wait 65 years to retire to have that experience. Dolphins just do it from the day they're born to the day they die. And they don't stop for 45 years in the middle to work for somebody else's factory. I'm really in awe of the simplicity and the beauty of the world that they've created for 25 million years, which is 10 times as long as human beings have been doing this civilization thing. <laughs> so I really see them as the answer, the, the mermaid culture answer to how can we get along, enjoy the benefits of this planet and not create problems. We have created so many problems because we're not thinking we're one with nature. We're thinking we're separate from nature, which is why I love to play in the mermaid world so much. Mermaids are one with nature. They kind of live in two worlds, right? Because they've got the human upper body and then the porpoise lower body. And so that creates the ability to go into two worlds and shapeshift. But having that wisdom of being one with nature changes everything. It changes how we eat. You know, do we plant gardens? Yes, we're one with nature. Do we sit in a cubicle all day that's all closed in, never go outside to play? No, that's crazy. <laughs> So this whole culture that humans have created for themselves, I think, is not one with nature. And therefore, nature is not working very well with us right now. And it's our job to get back in tune with it. And I think nature, dolphin culture, mermaid culture, will allow us a doorway back into being who we are more fully, more who we're here to be, and not so divided from each other and from the planet. I love that. I, I hear you on that, Heather, but I also want to ask to play devil's advocate 
because you were a lawyer before. Yes, so but I'm this... never the devil's advocate. <laughs> I only represented the good guys. <laughs> well, <laughs> but you can and my, cool. <laughs> and my question on that is, yeah. you know, like, so you came from a very different kind of thinking and you've moved now to a, a perspective around embodying mermaid culture and all these different things that's very different. Mm -hmm. So that person who's more in the place of lawyer version of Heather, who worked in a cubicle or, you know, lived more of that human story life, how can, how can we kind of bridge that gap and, and help people maybe understand how to, how to get to this place of, because what I'm hearing you say really with the mermaid culture is like about oneness of, of uh, self with nature and really understanding that on a, on a deeper level. So how do, how do we go from lawyer to, to this? Yeah, well, I got into being a lawyer because I was trained in the, the human culture that you want to have power over because I didn't have any power or money growing up and I thought that's where it would be. You know, we would go get money and power so we could at least stop the bad guys from harming women, which is what I was seeing happen. And I said, I'm not going to allow that. I'm going to go get that power. I'm going to play that game. I'm going to win that game and I'm going to go to law school and I'm going to learn how to pass legislation and I'm going to show them how I can win that game. And therefore I'll have what they have thinking that that was the answer. And if you want power over in a battle place like court, um, you should be a civil rights attorney. You know, I adore Gloria Allred. She's who I wanted to be. And I adore that she could do that for an entire career and that she's an expert at what she does. And she seems to get amazing results, but she's limited in that she is only allowed to play that game within a particular battlefield called the courthouse. And the rules of that courthouse were written by the legislature and sometimes by courts, mostly from an older conservative uh, European ethnic background, which doesn't necessarily play for other people to be included in the justice system. It's not about justice is what I discovered. One year after being a civil rights attorney in Oakland, California, even though I won all my cases, I decided this was not worth it. You can get all the money in the world and it's not worth going through this system. This system is so broken that I'm not going to pretend that it's working. So I'm out. And I spent the next 20 years as a lawyer keeping people out of court, teaching them and empowering them how to not have to go to that place of battle. Because I'm not interested in fighting battle every day under rules that somebody else has written, pretending that they were for me. Thank you. Those wonderful protective rules. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> anyway. It's kind of a sham. And so I never encourage anybody to go that direction. I say, there's 10 other things one could do to take one's power back in a situation that feels powerless. And my goal is to empower not just women, but anybody who doesn't feel empowered, especially the men who sometimes try to take the power away from the women because they don't know how to make their own. Obviously, if you have to have power over someone else, it's only because you don't know where your own power lies. So if we can all figure out how to be sovereign again and how to stand in our own power and our truth, then I think from that place, there wouldn't be so much what we call victimization. I think empowering women and girls and young boys and, and who are all often, most often the survivors of say sexual misconduct which is my passion is to end that uh, part of our culture and make it not the norm, but make it something really that's a one-off. I'm stepping more fully into my lawyer persona in order to be able to stand up to and say, no, this isn't okay. 
we are here to speak our truth and we are not going to put up with this kind of misconduct. And I'm not really interested in fighting anybody in battling court. I'm much more interested in just telling truthful stories, getting the culture to change. I'm more grassroots oriented, not top down. Let's, you know, I'm not here to pass a law so that everybody has to not be racist or to force people to not be sexist, but really to change everybody's hearts from the ground up is where I see the real change will make a difference in the long run uh, because otherwise it seems to backfire. It seems when we try to make people behave a certain way and then tell them they're bad and shame them and blame them and put them in jail and try to throw away the key, we just get someone who digs their heels in and wants to try and fight back. So the more we resist all that, the more we create it, the more we create more of it. So I'm really looking to create an alternative culture that people like better, that is more fun, more sexy in in a good way, more empowered so that People don't have to just assume that the way that we've always done it is the way that it needs to be. We don't just have to assume boys will be boys. We can create a whole new culture and stand up for respect, not just for women, but the planet and children and all of that. I don't think that's gonna happen in a battlefield in court, but that doesn't mean I'm not still a lawyer. Uh, I am, and I still use everything I learned about that game in order to be able to promote a new agenda, a new way of being with one another that is more simple and more respectful. I love this example that I just thought of, and it's this whole conversation about how do we protect the wild dolphins? Because some people think that if you swim with them disrespectfully, it hurts the dolphins and nobody should be allowed to do that. And so the the people are getting tickets right now for swimming with wild dolphins if they're doing it in a disrespectful way. But nobody seems to know, at least in the swimmers world, which are not Hawaiians. There are people from European descent who are swimming with the dolphins, mostly. And nobody seems to know how to do that in a respectful way within the Hawaiian context. So I love that this one woman stood up. Her name was Kealoha. And she stood up in front of the federal government in a process. And she said, you know, we've been teaching our children how to swim with dolphins for a thousand years. It's very simple. If the dolphin's eye is open, it's awake. If the dolphin's eye is closed, it's asleep. Treat it accordingly. And because Hawaiians were treated how to be respectful towards other beings. (laughs) That's just no brainer. That's simple. Like we don't need to be passing laws and giving people tickets. We need to teach them how to be with other creatures, beings, each other in nature. And it it seems so simple, but it really is the core, I think, of changing hearts so that we can be with each other and be with nature and be with creatures and without having to have lawsuits about it. Uh, We don't need the federal government to tell us how to swim with a dolphin. We just need respect class. Like what does respect look like? What does it mean? And Hawaiians are good at teaching that. I love that. I feel like I heard like a million things mentioned that were really, really powerful. But, you know, when you were talking about that power dynamic and being a lawyer and realizing even in winning your cases, that there was only so much traction that you could gain versus approaching the problem from a different perspective. So what I hear you saying, embodying yourself as a lawyer, but really realizing that there's a deeper and a smarter way to kind of address the issue than simply from the legal perspective. Like, so I'm hearing you say, yes, sometimes it goes there, but the more that we can take the agency back to ourselves and bring it back to our power and recognizing ourselves that that's really where it comes from. And I thought as well as you're talking about power, you know, it reminded me of uh, in the Celestine prophecy when they're talking about levels of awareness and there's a certain level of awareness where folks are pulling power from one another or think that the means of gaining power is from taking someone else's 
And there's a lot of that in, in our culture for sure. But at higher levels of awareness, it's an understanding that it's, no, we, we don't, it's a, it's a weak thing to try and take power from someone else. It's another thing to generate power. And yes. that's what I'm hearing you say. And yes. that in generating power, what we're doing is really move, like to do that requires for us to move to an understanding of a more natural way versus this way of t taking or robbing from someone else. Am I, was that, is that kind of in alignment? Yes, totally. I, that is a huge piece of the answer. And I think how we see the universe and how the universe is interacting with us, if you think of yourself in a Darwinian position where you have a competing interest and you have to, you know, dog eat dog world in order to survive, we're going to end up with the results that we see, which is a dog eat dog world where we're all just trying to survive. If we want to live in a world where dolphins and mermaids live in total abundance, <laughs> that they don't need war because there's no scarcity, we just have to create that story. And that story is radically different. It's a story of we are one with nature. We are not here to dominate it. We are lucky it lets us be here. If it weren't for the bees on this planet, we wouldn't be here. So we better get chummy with the bees, you know? If you see a bee struggling, it's time to fix that because your survival depends on that bee. And we just don't get that connection. We've been dis, you know, dis disconnected from source, from our spirituality oftentimes, and from our grandparents and our great-grandparents were disconnected in industrialized countries and were disconnected from nature just because we're sitting in our you know, bedrooms playing video games most of the day. So this whole culture has so disconnected us. If we could just get, get back to our center and back to our connection, I think, and, and that's the mermaid connection for me, right? Playing in nature, playing in my spirituality and getting to what is authentic, what's real for me, whether I call myself Viana or Heather or you know, whatever shape-shifting I may be doing at that time on the outside, whatever color my hair may be, it doesn't matter. What's true is in the center. And that, that solid truth allows me to play. And that's where I'd like to see everybody get is what do we need to all be solid in our core what do we need to be supported? Whether that's, you know, basic good food or good night's sleep or a good laugh or good friendships or whatever support systems we need so that we can really be in our centers and really act from that place and not, as you said, have to take power from someone else. Thank you, Heather. I, I love that perspective. I would love to tie it back into our body positivity. <laughs> Yeah. And in the conversations that I've had with you one-on-one, -on -one, I understand from you that the mermaid perspective on the body is very body positive, very body accepting. And yet mermaids in our culture are typically depicted as very thin, busty, uh, Caucasian women mm -hmm. uh, with long flowing hair and things like that. And what's your perspective on how that's depicted and how do you feel like that's different than your understanding of mermaids in our culture today? Yep. I think it's um, as women are beginning to want to step more into their power and we're looking at, well, what is that? Is it the same kind of power that the men have been showing us, which is power over? And we think that therefore, if we can use our sexuality and our attractiveness and look a certain way that will attract men, will we then have power over them? And we can use seduction and manipulation of our particular physique or our particular hair or whatever that we know 
is visually stimulating to men and men have the power and they have the money in our culture, why wouldn't I want power over that? And so in a culture in which it's all about power over, it's no, no brainer that women are using that look to have power. And that's, that's not what I'm interested in. What I'm interested in is finding out if I didn't have all these people telling me what I should look like or how I should dress or what color my hair should be or what I should say or how low or high my voice should be or what kinds of heels I should be wearing or what color tail I should have on or how I should perform for them, who would I be? Like if I wasn't always trying to please and get approval and perform, I was raised to please get approval and perform. I am now 50 years old. I am done. (laughs) So I've been there. I played that game. I know that game. I won that game. (laughs) I can't tell you how much I won that game. And I laugh about it now because life, you know, is life. This is how we learn. But I'm hoping that if I tell my story and we share our stories, that we won't have to learn the hard way. And it won't take somebody else 50 years to figure out that what's really beautiful, what I'm really interested in is authenticity and the gifts that we each bring that have nothing to do with putting on a, you know, I was dressing up in court to look like a lawyer. And that was way more of a costume. That was so not authentic for me to dress like a lawyer in court than it was to put on an outfit at at Halloween. So little girls will ask me, are mermaids real? And I'm like, way more real than lawyers because that was my experience. And so my hope for everyone on this planet is that we can begin to play in what is real and what is authentic And when someone asks me, oh, you're a mermaid, perform for me. I say, I'm a mermaid and I don't perform. (laughs) Even the hula dance here in Hawaii did not begin as a performance. It began as a meditation. And weren't we lucky if we got to see someone meditating in their hula dance? That's that's the, the beauty of what I want to go back to. I find such beauty in authenticity, even with our voices, like to train our voices to sing a certain way. No. Let your voice be its real sound. That's what I want to hear. I want to hear what's real. Because right now in this culture right now, it's really hard to tell what's real. And I want to know what's real. And I think we all hold what's real. And that's the part of you I want to unwrap like a Christmas present. I just want to see the part of you that's real. It's the most beautiful part. That is beautiful. I love that. And it ties back into one of our questions, which is, so when you are interacting with yourself, and you have a challenging moment towards your body and you have that negative pattern come up, how do you shift that negativity for yourself? How do you create that shift within yourself to move back into knowing what's real for you and knowing that authentic love for yourself? Yeah, that's huge. That I call it recentering. And I try to do it if I can get up for about an hour every morning before the sun even rises, if I can get myself out of bed to my little special chair that looks like a clamshell. It just holds me. And I just listen for what's real at that moment. And I try to remember who I really am and try to remember why I'm here and try to remember what matters to me, what my values are. And then from that centered place, that's when I, I'm not in an illusion anymore about all these stories that are flying around me that want me to believe them. So there's so many stories about, as you mentioned, you know, how a a woman should look, especially if she's a mermaid, like, am I too fat to be a mermaid? Don't mermaids have big boobs, you know, shouldn't I have big boobs or something? And, And all of these stories 
that are so easy to buy into when we see evidence of them all the time. We see these images of them all the time and we get fed that story over and over again, consciously and subconsciously. So for me to get out of that old story, I actually have to sit, stop, take a moment, breathe and ask myself what's real. And then I get back to my center and I say, oh, that's just a story. Thank you for sharing. Does that story work for me? Does it create good results in my life? No? Thank you for sharing. Next. <laughs> What's a better story? We're making them up anyway. Let's make up good ones. Ones that actually produce the results we're seeking. So if telling myself the story, oh, there's something wrong with me. My life is, I'm never lucky or something like that. I'm going to go through life collecting evidence that there's something wrong with me and my life is unlucky. If I decide just to make up a new story and say, oh no, I am, the whole universe is conspiring to surprise and me and, and delight me because I'm a magical mermaid. My job is to collect magical moments. Well, that's a way more fun story and funny. My psyche wants to collect evidence of that. So I'm looking around all the time for all the different ways the universe is trying to surprise and delight me. And I find it everywhere and it makes results that I actually enjoy. And that's what I'm looking for. I'm not looking necessarily for knowing the total truth, all the truth and nothing but the truth. I'm looking for what is a fun story for this moment that makes it a way more fun life. And it may be for me, a mermaid. It may be for somebody else, a unicorn. It may be for somebody else, let's play fairies. Um, but at least that gets us out of our box to something beyond what we think is logical and rational and boring. At least that's in my view, right? <laughs> I was trained to be all of those things, logical and rational and boring. So life was never meant to be boring, I don't think, at least for me. And so I'm trying to make it an adventure and whatever kind of body I have, that's the one I was given and it's magical. And so it's perfect. You know, I'm always looking for evidence of why this body is perfect for me. And I'll give you an example. When I was first born, I couldn't breathe through my nose. And until I was six years old and nobody believed me. Well, if you're a mermaid, it's great to not breathe through your nose because when you do somersaults under the water and do all these crazy things, you would have to go like this through light, right? And I don't want to have to go through like this through life. I wish my nose was still closed, but they took out my atenoids not knowing I was a mermaid. And now I have to put my nose when I go upside down in the water and do somersaults and stuff. So they didn't know that it was supposed to be that way. Um, that's just one example. But I'm always looking for ways that my body is perfect and that my body is smarter than me and that I need to trust it when it's doing something. If it wants to add on more weight, there's a good reason. If it wants to lose weight, there's a good reason. And I trust my body and I listen to it. So that's a that's a big deal, I think, is to stop and listen to my body. I love that. And I wanna I heard you when you were speaking as well about feeding ourselves these stories. It made me think about another topic that we wanted to you know, touch upon, which was food addiction. Mm. Um, and so, because to me, like either way, you're feeding some form of addiction. It's either feeding an addiction to a story, feeding an addiction to an emotion, feeding an addiction to food. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about your experience with, with food and addiction. Thank you. I grew up in a family that loved food addiction. We were all addicts and and I ended up going to OA for years and hating my body for most of my teenage years. And then in OA, got a little bit of, you know, a couple of years of hope and then discovered that it, it only went so far for me, for my healing, because I was constantly every week going to these meetings, focusing on the food, as if the food and the stories about the food were the focus of our attention. 
And I realized that's not what I want to focus my attention on. And it wasn't until I got to Hawaii when I thought, oh, if I just moved to Hawaii, then my addiction will mysteriously disappear. It's just magic. And it didn't. So a year into moving to this magical island, my addiction came with me. And I said, oh, I am 47, I think. I was 46 or 47 at the time. And I said, I am not gonna put up with this one more day. This isn't working for me. I have to create my own program because the 12 steps only went so far and it wasn't quantum and I want quantum results. So I said, I have to make up my own freaking program. Okay. So I woke up every morning for 13 weeks for one hour and I got quiet and I said, and I journaled for myself and I said, what do I need to know today? And every day I journaled for about a half an hour and every day I was given a gift and the gift, this is kind of before I'm even awake. So my brain isn't really working right, which is perfect for this kind of work. There's nothing in the way, there's no logic. And I would just listen for what do I need to know today? And then I would say, what practice, what one thing can I do today that would help me to put a new habit in place? And then the third thing that every day came was a story because I can't remember wisdom, like this little affirmation I would get every day. I can't remember it in my life if I don't have a story to hang it on, a parable, uh, something that I can remember. Oh yeah, that piece of wisdom, that story, that's what applies here. I, I do that all the time in life. If I remember a really good story with a really good moral wisdom I want in my life, I have to remember the story. So I was gifted an affirmation every day, a story to remember it, and then a powerful practice that I actually had to do. And they were not easy, these practices. I did not make them up to make my life easy, but I did them. And I did them every day for 13 weeks. And at the end of, none of it was about food, by the way. Nothing was about food. It was all about everything else underlying my life that made life work and made me happy and made me honor myself and my passions and my self-care and my self-love and really getting into the nitty-gritty of life. And if I did that, and I, I did that every morning, my food addiction disappeared by itself, literally with no effort from me after about 12 weeks uh, of working my life over so that I wasn't reaching for food anymore because I was reaching for uh, fulfillment in real ways. I was allowing myself to be fulfilled in a million other ways that had nothing to do with food. And that felt fulfillment meant I wasn't anxious and I wasn't looking for food everywhere to fill in the, the gaps of what my emotional body wanted. And I didn't do that on purpose. Like I literally didn't have to like go off of sugar and white knuckle it. I actually was released from the addiction for a couple of months. And then if I stop doing that every morning, I go back into my addiction. So there's a practice here that has to happen for me to stay healthy. And that is I have to take the time to honor my spiritual life. And if I do that, the rest follows. And if I don't, it doesn't. And I really think everybody has their own way to do that. You know, different paths, different religions, different everything, whatever works for somebody, I say that has to be the foundation and the core if we're gonna stay in center and live our lives from that place. Just from my so own experience. Yeah, like I hear a lot of the addiction was a recognition of a lack of fulfillment where you're trying to fill it. And I I, reckon, I relate with that, you know, like feel, filling a hole or trying to feel full in your stomach because you feel empty inside kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, and I'm hearing you say, you know, it's a practice that you work through. Yeah. I love that. Daily, Daily and it's fun. <laughs> and I decided to put it in a book called Diving into the Divine Feminine. Oops, I don't know if you can see that. Not very well with my background on. Anyway, 
Diving into Divine Feminine, 13 Steps to Freedom from Food Addiction. And it's just those meditations that I did for myself every day, and they were profound for me. And there's a journal that goes with it and a deck of cards that goes with it. If it's fun for you to play that game, feel free to go to divingintodivinefeminine.com and order your kit. And then listen for your own wisdom every morning. You don't have to follow mine. <laughs> Do your own thing. But it worked for me. It still continues to work for me. And I'm so grateful to have had that ability to stop and do that. But I had to hit bottom first, you know, to have the incentive to get up every morning at like 5 a.m. Um, to know that I wanted a life that was different than the last 46 years. Uh, so that is, yeah, that's available to all of us and uh, however you like to do it. And that was divingintodivinefeminine.com. Uh, Shirley was asking yeah. Yeah, and yeah. Um, we got some we got some love as well from Stacy. Uh, and I do want to honor our time as well. Arliss, do you want to answer the or ask the last question? Yeah. So in closing out our um, podcast for today, Ayana, what is one piece of wisdom that you would say is your takeaway message for our listeners? I would say, I'm just going to let this come now. I didn't prepare for this answer. So I'm going to let this come now for this particular audience. May it speak to you, whatever wants to be offered here. The wisdom is literally about joy. Follow that ah, moment. Let, you know, listen for that and follow it because that's the fulfillment part. Um, if you see something, hear something, experience something and go, ah, that is where it's at. So follow that and find out where it takes you and let yourself go with more and more of those moments. Fill up your life with those awesome moments and uh, let that joy lead to the next awesome moment. It's how I found you, Arliss. When I met you, I went, oh, what an inspiration. Oh my gosh, I have to know this being. She's amazing. <laughs> so that's an example where it, it led to good things. Yeah, just listen for those moments in your heart when your heart goes, oh, and listen to it in everybody else's. You'll see it happen. When you mention something, you know, if you talk about golf to my my partner, he goes, he gets really big and his eyes get big and he blows up, you know, it's like golf. That's his passion. And so it's fun to support people in their ahas, whatever those are, to see them explode with joy in their realms. And uh, whether that's in the mermaid realm or the unicorn realm or whatever you want to create for yourself, I say, go for it. Let me be an example. You can not just be a, a lawyer and, and or a mermaid. You can be a mer lawyer. You can have it all. You can make it up. I love that. Thank you so much for being our guest today, Viana. We have really enjoyed having you and um, hearing all of your inspiring wisdom and expertise on the mermaid culture. That's Cool. So we'll close out for today. Thank you again, Viana, for, for joining Diana and I. And we will see and hear from all of you next week. Bye. Thank you. Bye.